The following sermon is brought to you by thepreachersvault.com, bringing old-time preaching to a new generation. Go ahead and take your Bibles, if you don't mind, and open the whip in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be taking view here in just a few moments. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11 is where we're going to be. Uh, kind of while you're turning there, let me just kind of point out and acknowledge, as Kate already has, it is Mother's Day. And I'm aware of that, and I appreciate that. Uh, Kate took my joke also that if it weren't for you all mothers, we wouldn't be here. That's an obvious but I've also realized, and I do want to point this out, that I know that a day like today, although it be a day of celebration and commemoration on so many points, is also a day of pain and heartache at times. Uh, many of you have lost your mothers or you don't have a relationship with them that you would like and that makes things more difficult. Uh, sometimes there are individuals that for whatever reason are unable to have children um, I, I think of them in several different categories, and of course that's a time when struggles can be at their highest, and, and that's painful. And so I want you to know I prayed for you this morning before I left, and we'll continue to do that, but we all need to be made aware that some of those situations are difficult. So, you know, we enjoy our time with our mothers and such, uh, thankfully, but we ought to be mindful also of others. Also, on a similar note to that, I want to make an acknowledgement, and that is that mothers can be mothers for so many different reasons in life. Obviously, there are mothers, most of them are mothers by birth. And that's a given. That's what it is. You carry a child for 40-some-odd weeks, approximately nine months. You give birth from your womb. You have a child. You rear them up and you raise them up as long as you possibly can. And we appreciate those mothers above all, uh, obviously. But there are also mothers who exist who are mothers by what I call burden. And when I use the word burden, I don't mean that being a mother is ever a burden. It's not that. But oftentimes people become mothers to children out of a burden that someone else cannot bear. And that happens a lot of times. Uh, a lot of times today I see it. There are grandparents that are doing the majority of rearing or raising of their children or grandchildren because those parents are either absent or unavailable, what have you. And I appreciate you take on that burden. There's no doubt about that. And take on that extra responsibility. Uh, foster parents, been there, done that. Adoptive parents. Also, the same is the case. These children may not have access to the parents that they deserve and that they need. And so for you to step up and become a mother in that way is a blessing. And uh, certainly, it makes you just as much a mother as anybody else, if not sometimes more so. And so I want to make sure that is acknowledged. But not only are there mothers by birth and by burden, this is my favorite, there are sometimes mothers by benefit. And what I mean by that is sometimes people just take on the role and the responsibility of being a mother when they don't even have to. And oftentimes that's not a blood kinship, it's not a relationship thing, they just choose to do that. I'm, I remember a time when we first moved to Philadelphia, Mississippi, that's been 14, 15 years ago. We had been there less than 24 hours and someone knocked at our door and we opened it up. It was a lady by the name of Linda Cook. My mama knows who Linda Cook is. And Linda Cook walked in. She was a member there at the church. We hadn't even met, I guess, at that point yet. And she stayed there and helped us a little bit for a while. And she looked at me and Jennifer and she said, I know you're a long way from home, four and a half hours, not that long, uh, but you're a long way from home and uh, I wanna be your mother. I want to fill that role. And she said, I want to be a grandmother of these children. 
We didn't know how that was going to work, but it worked very well. I can't tell you the number of times she was in our home at two, three o'clock in the morning when we had a medical emergency and she helped. Times when she just grabbed our children and swept them away or swooped them away and took care of them in an unlimited time and, and cared for them like, like even Jennifer and I could hardly do. Uh, I can't tell you the times she knocked on our door and brought meals when they weren't necessary. Sometimes we were, had stuff on the stove, but hers was always better, so uh, we took it and enjoyed that. And I know, I know for a fact, and I'm going to try not to look at anybody, there are so many of you here that do the same things, uh, not just for me, but for so many others. And so if you fulfill the role as a mother or grandmother of somebody uh, by benefit, I am thankful for that as well. That's a huge deal. And it needs to be acknowledged. But it doesn't matter whether you're a mother by birth, uh, in that case by burden or by benefit, you're all a blessing to us. So we're thankful that you're here and that you've gotten to come today. Um, I also thought through that situation and realized that there may be more or an abnormal, is that the right word? A, a le a, an unnormal, I don't know, uh, amount of mothers that be here. But I also, I did some math and thought about it. I said, well, for every mother that's here, they may have come with a child or a grandchild or, or a spouse or something like that. And so we want to take advantage of everybody while they're here. So I want you to get, you've got your Bibles perhaps already open to Matthew chapter 7. Uh, we're going to be taking view again in just a moment from verses 7 through 11 of Matthew chapter 7 under the heading, of course this doesn't have to work, does it? Uh, I ain't worried about it. If it works, it works. It don't work. That's good. Helpful. Under the heading of people, if you want to call it that, who pray. Not just parents. I almost want to talk to just parents, but people who pray. Because it's always needful and always should be emphasized that we ought to be praying to God on a regular basis. It shouldn't be something we do in the morning or the evening. It shouldn't be something we simply would do at a mealtime. It's something that we ought to be doing all the time, being continual in our prayer. So let's read our context today. Again, Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 7. It'll be very familiar to you, but here's what it says. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. Now I want you to notice all three of those are going to be promises, and we'll see that later. Verse 9, Or what man is there of you, whom when you ask bread, should give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will you give him a serpent? If ye, speaking of us, ye then being evil, know how to good, give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven good, give, give good things to them that ask. Now I want to emphasize these points, and they would have been behind me, but they are not. But I want to emphasize the fact on keying on those three words, ask, seek, and knock. The word ask, seek, and knock. And I've chosen in my Bible a brand new copy of it this morning, as a matter of fact, to highlight those words and to show those words as standouts. When you think about the word ask right here, you think about the word seek, and you think about the word knock, each of those, and the way they're used here in the translations or come from the Greek, each of those are in what is known as a present tense verb tense. You say, well, Jim, what does that mean? That implies that these are things that have a beginning, but they keep on going. 
They have a part, they have a portion where they have a beginning that is definite, that is sure, but then they continue on. It's not something that ought to have had an ending point or something that should cease. Now, I appreciate the King James, the old King James for that because they added those ETHs, which we've learned to use, which are handy to point that out. The S does something similar in the new King James. But that ETH carries that idea of a continuous action that does not cease, that does not stop. But something more to emphasize about all three of these words is not only they continue, but they actually intensify. When you think about someone asking, and I'm using just the words of Jesus here, ask and it shall be given. Jesus is not implying by any means that if you want something of me, you pray to me, you pray to God, and you just ask that one time, and you just ask kind of in that real quiet voice. You know, I can remember growing up, my children certainly do this to me. If they're a little bit concerned or, or worried about asking me a question, maybe they're pretty sure I'm going to say no. A lot of times the way they'll do it is they'll say, Hey, Daddy, can we hug somebody? What? I was wondering, speak up. God desires us to intensify our asking. That is to speak up, to cry out to Him literally, and that's in that tense. By the same measure, the word seek right here that you see on these pages, that's the same idea. It's not a matter of someone who goes to find something and maybe they just take a little bit of a glance and look around and say, well, I, I, don't, I didn't see what it was. It's not a matter of somebody who just kind of casually looks for something. It's a matter of someone, if they need to, they'll pull out the binoculars or the magnifying glass and they'll go after that. I think about it like the parable of the lost remote. You've all been there. You lose the remote. You're not sure where it is. Everybody in the house bands together. They determine they're going to go out and find that. They're seeking it. What happens in the beginning? Well, someone says, well, can't find the remote. Okay, well, look on the nightstand. Look on the TV stand. Uh, maybe look and see if it's laid up on the back of the couch, something like that. An hour later, you'll put your arm that deep. You'll go into places that you never thought about going to because you get desperate, because you have intensified that action. That's, again, somewhat similar to this word. And then the last one, knock, is the same measure. God is not asking us just to barely knock on His door and to barely begin to cry to Him. He's asking us to make sure that He's able to hear and telling us that we need to knock and knock and knock and knock. It's continuous and it intensifies. And that's what these words are. Now to divide them up, and you've all got cheat sheet outlines uh, I've got a couple up here that are not filled out, so they won't help me as much as I hope. But uh, these cheat sheet outlines, I want you to notice what each of these words can represent. Number one, when you think about the word ask, again, ask and it shall be given. That's the promise here. The word ask here implies that a desire is being expressed. A desire is being expressed. That's exactly what a question, that's what an asking is. It's someone who says to another, this is what I desire, this is what I want, this is the way I want things to work. And you don't have to realize that when it comes to asking God, praying to God for something, a couple things come into mind. Number one, there's the need of it. Do we need to pray to God? You know, I think about what Jesus said, Luke 18 and verse 1, maybe one of the references there. Jesus said, men ought to always pray and faint not. Meaning that when you pray, you ought to do it continually and always, but don't faint in that. That's almost the idea of the strengthening, the intensifying of it. 
Don't get to a place in your life if you're praying to God for something where you look to God and you think to yourself and toward Him and say, well, I've already asked a couple times and, and He hadn't seemed to answer that already and so I don't know what else to ask. So I'll just kind of feather away and I'll just go on in my slumber and go to sleep and not worry about it. There's a point at which we give our, our lives to God, which we turn our prayers over to Him. There's also a point where He desires us to need Him. Go with me for just a moment over the book of James. James, and as a matter of fact, James as well as Matthew, that's where we are, Matthew chapter 6, 7, and 8, or 5, 6, and 7, I should say, or the Sermon on the Mount. James is oftentimes a very close parallel to that. Look at it in James chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. This tells us some of the need of prayer that we ought to have. Here's what it says, verse 1. James 4, 1. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence from your own lust and war against your members? Watch what he says in verse 2. Ye lust and ye have not. Ye kill and ye desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and ye war. Ye have not. What's the next phrase? Because ye ask not. Verse 3 goes on and says, Ask and receive. Where did James get an idea like that? Aside from inspiration, Jesus said it. You ask and you receive. Another common passage we might quote together sometimes, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Pray without ceasing. The idea is that we have a need within us to pray, and we ought to use that need to invite God into our lives. In Mark chapter 4 and verse 38, Jesus gets across the same idea. He invites people to pray. In Philippians chapter, uh, what was that one? It's on your paper, not mine. In Philippians 4 and verse, you can help me out, 6. 16. Jesus tells us through prayer and supplications, put your request on Him. That's what we do, we pray. So there's the need of it. But what about the necessity? Why is it that we would pray? You say, well, isn't need a necessity? Isn't that very similar? Yeah, and they both began with the end, so I use it. But the necessity of prayer comes in at yet another level. You see, when you think about the necessity of prayer, there are several things that are accomplished by that. Number one, fellowship is invited. When I step before the throne of God in prayer, whether you do that in a literal sense, maybe you've got a certain position you like to get in, you know, you may bow down, you may bow your head, you may look up to the sky, whatever, fold your hands, close your eyes, makes no difference. But you get in that position, you get to a place where you're going to pray to God. When you're doing that, you're inviting His fellowship into your life. 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 1, God tells us that, that we are together in this. We work together in this, and we invite fellowship. Number two, when we pray, some of the necessity comes in in the fact that we also, we pray, why? Because when we pray, we in turn develop, our development is initiated. How many times have you prayed to God? We'll get more to this in a moment. But how many times have you prayed to God, and for whatever reason, just your feeling about it, you say, well, I prayed about it this day and maybe that day. God did not answer that prayer, so I guess I may as well give up. What happens if you continue to pray? Continue to ask. What happens if you intensify that and you pray to Him harder and harder or stronger and stronger, you lean into Him with everything? What may happen? Somebody says, well, I can tell you what happened. I've done it before. It didn't work. The real question is, have I honestly tried it? 
oftentimes when we continue in prayer to God, God allows us time to develop along with Him in that. Let me give you an example. Not a prayer itself, but an illustration of such. Imagine the young man, we've got a bunch here that have done this lately. Imagine a young man goes up to a young girl and he says, would you like to go out on a date with me? I don't know if that's the way, what you call it or not anymore, but it used to be a date. It used to be courting before that. Would you like to go out on a date with me? And she looks at him and she says, no, no, I'm not at all interested in that. So he kind of walks off, head down. He, he comes back to her, maybe gets up his courage. He comes back down casually a little bit later. He said, would you like to go out on a date with me? And she said, eh, I just, I'm real busy right now. I just, I, I won't ever, uh, no way I could do it that day or not that day. So what's well, fine, I'm open any day. Well, I'm not. And he walks off. You know what may happen to that young man? He might get to a place where he goes home. He says, something's wrong here. Do, I mean, you know, do I smell bad? Did I brush my teeth? Are my clothes straight? Are they wrinkled up? Should I get a new pair of shoes? Eventually he goes back and he says, would you like to go out with me? And she said, I tell you what, your breath smells better, your clothes are straighter. Those are nice shoes, I think I will. What happened? He developed himself. Why did he develop himself? Because he saw himself as being a failure at something. He didn't put that failure on her, he put it on him. Sometimes in prayer, that's what it is. It's never a failure on God's part, but oftentimes it could be a failure on our own part, and particularly our own attitude that we have toward God and how we in turn react with God. You say, well, how can you be sure about that? Go with me to the book of James. We were in James just a moment ago. Chapter 4 will be in the same place. Verse 3, picking up again, says, Ask and you receive, because you ask and you receive not because you ask amiss. You've got to get your mind right that may consume it upon your lust. He says, you adulterers and adulteresses, verse 4, know you not that friendship of the world is enmity with God. And whosoever there shall be a friend of the world is an enemy with God. Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain the Spirit dwelleth to justify and envy? You drop on down a little bit, forward, a little bit farther to verse 8. He says, draw nigh unto God, and He will draw nigh unto you. So when we pray, the necessities of it that are involved, number one, we invite that fellowship. Number two, we can initiate that development. Number three, we include that dependence. When I draw nine to God, verse 8, James, I show myself to be dependent on God. That's why we pray. So ask. Number two, not only ask, he says, ask, and it shall be even given you. I'm back over in John, uh, Matthew's account. Seek and ye shall find. Seek and ye shall find. What is that? Well, if asking was just the principle, at least, of the fact that the desire is expressed, seeking is the idea that a, a direction is being explored. Some of you realize this, most of you have heard it before, but my son is nicknamed Camo. All y'all know that? Why? Because when he was young, we would go into a store and he would duck up inside of the clothes racks and hide. Or he got better than that. We would go into a big box store and he would go up to where the toilet paper, the diapers are, and he would actually make himself a fort behind that and get up inside. The... You think he was easy to find? Do you think Jennifer and I, when we did not find him, when we sought him for just a moment, that we said, well, well, I guess that was it for Cameron. We got Julianne at least. No. 
We invited the whole store if it need be to find him. We put our intensity into it. We didn't casually glance around and call it a day. When we come before the throne of God, we first ask. That's one point. That even in itself intensifies. But when you ask something of God and you need to find the answer, you have to seek, you have to look for that answer. And that within itself is more intense than even the first part of the process. But why seek God? Number one, we seek the purpose of God. You seek because you want, to, you want to know the purpose of God. Now, how does that play itself out? Again, you could go back and look at James chapter 4. Again, same idea, same parallel. Verse 3 beginning. Ask and you receive not because you ask amiss. Sometimes my prayers are not answered by God, at least in the way I desire, because I'm asking for something that is amiss. Meaning I didn't do it right. I didn't ask for the right things. Now, I've heard people before, and I've asked this, say, well, then, Jim, then what can we pray for, you know? Is it important to pray for spiritual things? Well, obviously. Is it important to pray for our physical health? Yeah, sure. What about our emotional health? I struggle a lot. I absolutely go ahead and do that. Well, what about if I'm going through a parking lot, maybe a big parking deck, and I can't find a parking spot, should I pray for that? If you want to. That's too minor for God. How? God created you and all the things you're able to do? How? Is that God's priority? No, not necessarily. Is that God something that, something that God, if He chose to, could control? Yeah, He may not choose, but what if I in turn ask God? I say, well, I'll tell you what I need to do, God. I need a parking place. So what I need you to do is I need, when I get in this parking deck, I need one car to go to back out. And he rams into another car right there in the middle of everything, and I can swoop around him and get the parking place right behind him. You have to ask in accordance with things that God desires. And that mainly includes his spiritual gifts, what he desires of you to have. Number two, power not only does include that, but also the presence of God. We've already read through the scriptures for that. I still continue the same things in James. You pray to God because you desire of Him to be able to participate along beside you. You know, I think about why it is we pray. Why it is we would ask. Why it is we would knock. Why it is we would keep on going like this. Why would we seek? We do it because we love God. We do it because we go for Him. You know, when you pray to God, am I praying to God to inform God of something that's going on? He already knows what we have need of before we ask. Well, am I praying to God because I want to instruct God and say, God, I tell you what, you, you need to do in this situation. I've got this laid out. I've got my plan. You very well may have, but that may not be His. Well, am I praying to God in one sense because I just want to, to look to God and say, well, God, uh, you know what? But since I'm down here and since you already know, let me just, let me just impress you with my ability to pray. It's an invitation. It's an invitation of God's participation. Now the last one. We're moving quickly because we're out of time. Not only ask, not only seek, but then knock. The idea of knocking right here, again, that's a, a, an idea that's something that happens, that goes in one place, continues, and intensifies as you go. 
You ever knocked on anybody's door that you thought was at home, but you weren't sure? Where you go up and you kind of knock and you say, well, he'll be here in a minute or she'll be here in a minute. And then you go over and you say, well, I better try. You knock in, you Bill Camp. He got some extra family here with him. I eat lunch with Bill at least once a week. I like that. Knocking on Bill's door is tough. He's smiling, so at least he heard me that time. Because you don't know. I've, I've knocked on his door before and I'll knock. He doesn't answer. I'll pull a screen open. I'll knock. He doesn't answer. I've walked around to the window where I know he's got to be in there and I'll knock and he doesn't answer. You know what I do? I start putting my shoulder in the door. Because I want to access that man. I want to see him. I want to talk to him. Think about praying to God that way. Think about having a life where when you go before the throne of God, you have the ability to ask Him anything. But when you ask Him for something, you seek after His answer to that. You, you let God determine how He's going to answer that. And when it seems like He's failing you and He's not giving you what you want, you keep on knocking. Keep on reaching. Keep on striving. So He can have an opportunity to answer Several things come to mind. I don't know that I put them, I didn't put them on the sheet here or anything like that. Well, yeah, I did. Sometimes when God answers prayers, He answers them directly. Now, we could probably all raise our hand and say, well, I know that day. I know the day I prayed to God, it didn't seem like no time, and He answered the prayer, and it's just what I needed, just what I desired. He answers some prayers directly. But oftentimes in that, he doesn't answer his prayers directly. Sometimes he answers prayers differently. Ever had that happen? You know, God, give me a job. I've applied for these five jobs, and boy, I went to this interview, and this is absolutely my favorite. That's the job I want, God, I want that job. And you sit there by the phone for a week, you don't get a phone call. Then all of a sudden, the phone rings, you pick it up, it's got to be them. Hey, it's Taco Bell. Huh? God, why didn't you give me? Maybe he did. Many things are a lot, a lot more important, a lot less petty than that, that we pray to God for, we desire, and we put all these efforts into it, and God answered them sometimes differently. Sometimes he straight out denies us. Some prayers are just denied. That's not for you. That's not for you in the moment. That's not for you at any point in your life. Some prayers are simply, in that case, delayed. You know, maybe he plans to answer that prayer, but not today. Maybe he plans to answer that prayer if, conditional on the fact that you keep asking. I pulled that stunt as a parent, too. A child comes up and says, hey, can we go fishing? Uh, maybe, we'll see. child comes back up and says, hey, were we planning to go fishing this afternoon? Well, I have to see what else I got going. Child comes up and says, can we go fishing now? Since you kept asking, I guess I'll get you fishing rod. You say, well, that's, that's, that's you, though. That's, that's not God. Oh, oh, it ain't. Look at Luke chapter 18. Look in Luke 18. We're skipping over the first reference. There's a Luke 11 reference. should be also as well. But Luke 18. Look at what happens here. We'll pick up in verse 
2. Luke 18, 2. There was a city and there was a judge who feared God, neither, who feared not God, neither regarded him. And there was a widow in the city who came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said unto him, said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, because this widow troubled me, I will avenge her, lest by her, what is that? Continual coming she weary me. Now I'm not implying that this wearies God, us asking. Don't imply that. But I am implying that Jesus is speaking a parable here that is intended to prove a principle. The very next verse in that, verse number 6 says, And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own effect, which cry day and night, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, the Son of Man cometh and, faith, and find faith on the earth. Now you can look at the Luke reference on your own time. But in the Luke reference, you've got a similar state, and that is you've got a widow who's coming to Jesus and begging of Jesus for something. Well, that was in this one. The other one is the midnight prayer. What do we know? We know, number one, in this, that when we pray to God, be absolutely sure God is good. He will answer. Maybe not to my satisfaction, maybe not in the same of mindset, the same direction I choose for myself, but he is good and he will answer. Number two, God is wise. God will oftentimes answer a prayer in a way that you could not conceive, you did not, you did not hope for, desire for, dream of, but he's wise enough to know what we need even more. And number three in this, God himself also is able he is able to answer our prayers. If you're here this morning, you're not a child of God's. The, the deal with this is that in order for you to have that full access to God in prayer, to come before God with anything and everything in your life and be able to have Him to answer those prayers, whether He does it you know, in a delayed state or a, 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 whatever that is, the key and the access to that is opened up by you being a child of His first. If you're here this morning, you're not a child of God's. We're going to take a moment in just a moment to, to lead a song that we traditionally call the invitation song. What is that? It means it's a song where we have an extra moment of time of encouragement to invite you not just to, not to come to us, but to come before God. And to come to God believing in Him, absolutely trusting, relying on Him that He is the Son of, Jesus is the Son of God, being willing in turn to be willing to repent of our sins. We've got to change our lives. You know, just like the illustration of the young man, you change your life so that God can hear. You change your life so that God can see. Be willing in turn to repent of our sins, confess His name, and be willing to be baptized for the remission of our sins, to have our sins washed away, to have the relationship that with God that we need in order to pray, in order to have salvation from His Son. You're invited as we now sing.